Soup with Coop is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. Welcome to Soup with Coop. We keep it simple. We're not very smart around here. This is the first ever and maybe the last, depending on how things go. So I thought if we're going to lead off with someone, we might as well go with a podcaster, a broadcaster, a six-time pro bowler, and someone who has the exact same physical physique as moi. Brandon Marshall, welcome to Super <laughs> I think that was the, the best intro I've ever had. I love a podcaster, broadcaster. The only thing, same bot? You think so? I know you were a great wide receiver, but come on, bro. You know, I get better every year. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to have soup today, but I thought it was even more, I was more impressed when you told me your soup is going to be delivered by your personal chef. So, uh, what, yeah. what kind of soup are we having today? Oh, oh, oh! So I, I think you'll appreciate this, right? You're, you're you're a southern guy. Some gumbo. We're gonna go with some gumbo and Chef Nancy. Chef Nancy's been cooking for me um, for years back when I was playing for the Jets. And here she go, Chef Nancy. Come say hello to Coop. Hi, Coop. How are you? Chef, oh my gosh, Chef Nancy. You know the Mannings, right? Because you're you're from you're from Queens. You're yes, from New York. From New York. So yes. what what Manning is this? I heard that you're the most important Manning of all. Chef Nancy, you're my next guest on Super <laughs> Coop. Actually, get, Brandon, get out of the chair. Nancy, slide on in. <laughs> right. What you guys enjoy? Oh, you have a question? Wait, what, tell me about the soup. Tell me what you made for Brandon today. How are you? I mean, most Southern folks are, are gumbo guys. You don't see a lot of people from Queens throwing out a gumbo, so I'm excited right. to hear how you made it. Oh, well, I started with a roux. It has okra. It has crab in it, shrimp, and it tastes really good. <laughs> Fresh garlic. Of course, I, I um, of course I used the mirror pot at first, but mm. took some time. How is it? It's awesome. You know, cool. you know, they're New Orleans people. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm not from New Orleans, but I've been to culinary art school and I practice a lot. Well, if you come down here, I will show you the ropes and take you to a couple of my little hole in the wall spots. I got a couple of great gumbos for you to try down here. So I'm gonna hold you to that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. All right, Nancy. All right, thank you. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this is the most important man. You, you nailed that one. Chef, that. She, uh, Coop, she didn't know who Mike Vick was. Who is Mike Vick again? <laughs> that's, well, that's what you want in a chef. You want someone worried about, you know, what's what's being served in the bowl, not, you know, who's running around and dodging defenders. Right. That's let me see. I can't. I don't want to spill it, but this is pretty good. Can't really get it. Can you get it? Without, oh, I'm about to spill it. There we go. That's all I got. You know, there's some people out there, Brandon, that debate whether gumbo is a soup. And um, really? I, I, yeah, I have no patience for them. I'm a. What are you having? I'm having a. It's a sea, a traditional seafood gumbo. Good shrimp. Big shrimp. I like a lot of rice because I'm trying to put on some some pounds, you know. <laughs> no, I can't. This 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 13 inch neck's not going anywhere by itself. I gotta, I gotta, I, I'm 19 inches. Well, I, well, I retire. I haven't played. The last ball I caught was from your brother Eli. But when I was playing, I was around a 19. You know, Eli, I might be still playing if he threw me more balls. <laughs> I told him you were going to be on the show, and he said, oh, y'all are going to get along great. I'm like, that, is that, a, is that a, a diss at both of us? Does he like us or does he hate us? I don't know. I can't ever tell. Anybody. 
Right. <laughs> you have Love an Eli people. story? Anything awkward with Eli? Because he loves awkward moments. Yeah, so Eli, man, well, first, I mean, you guys are like royalty, NFL royalty, the Mannings, all of you guys are great and um, funny, hilarious, you know, uh, it's like America's family. Um, so, so you know, going into the Giants organization, leaving the Jets, you know, it was like, man, I'm about to go play with Eli Manning. And they were coming off the year. I think they won 11 ball games. Eli and Odell's connection was phenomenal. The defense was a top five defense. So in my mind, I'm like, I got Eli. This is going to be one of like the first like stud, stud quarterbacks that I really played with that had the, you know, the the the, the physical stuff, the the leadership, like had everything we needed to go to a Super Bowl. So I'm excited to go. And um I get there, it's, it's everything I expected. Eli just super regimented. He's a phenomenal leader, you know, getting us all in the right spot. Like, we're about to go. We got Odell on the other side and you know, I'm coming off some some good years, and, and and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be the number two receiver. So Odell's going to get double. So everybody thought that I was coming in there like, oh, Brandon's going to take a backseat to Odell. No, 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 no. It was Odell's going to get double, so I was going to get more targets. Right? Didn't play out that way. Only played like six games. <laughs> Broke my ankle or something like that, and that was it. Um, but there was an interesting moment. We were playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, and this was probably the most awkward moment for me. Developed a good relationship with Eli, developed a great relationship with Odell. And, and I was a guy that knew that, you know, when I started my career, I wasn't perfect, and I didn't do things the right way on the sideline and that interaction with the quarterback. And then just making sure that relationship was always good. The second half of my career, I understood how important it was and how it could affect everybody on the team. So I developed like these like awkward, quirky, like like little skills to keep things cool. So we were having this moment playing against the Philadelphia Eagles where, you know, everybody had high expectations for us, thinking that we were going to be a really good team. And it just didn't start off that way. So Eli's on the side. He just threw a terrible ball. Odell was pissed. And then so I walk up to, 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 to Eli, and this is something I did with Jay Cutler, something I did with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it always worked. So I go up to Eli. Eli has his face in the, in the iPad looking at the plate. I'm like, Eli, that was a, that was a terrible pass. <laughs> I said, that was a terrible pass. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And he just looked at me, didn't say anything. And it was the most awkward moment because in the past with Ryan Fitzpatrick and those guys, they would laugh and it would break it up and we'll get past it. Eli just looked at me like, if you don't get out of my face. <laughs> yeah, Eli so that, loves, was that, that was the moment, man. He, he loves like, you know, like when you're in an elevator and you're going up like to a, you know, a tall building and you're in the just you two, one, one other person you don't know. You know, I like to say, oh, you know, some sort of icebreaker, you know, oh, it's raining like crazy or beautiful day or. Yeah. You know, headed. Eli's perfectly fine. Just like in the awkward silence, he almost adores. He's almost more comfortable in oh. that. Oh, so you think it, you think it was intentional? Oh, I think he was messing with you. Oh, my goodness. I think he was so locked in. That's what I that's what I think. I go up to Eli and the quarterback coach is there as well. Right. And, and so they're both. They're both sitting there, you know, just serious, like figuring out how we're going to get our offense back on track. And both of them looked at me like I was crazy. You know, and, I, and you know what I thought about? This is what I compare. Hopefully we can say this on this show. 
The Giants and the Jets played for both teams. The Jets is like a public school. The Giants is like a private school, right? So it was just like, who is this, this kid coming in just like out of this world just with these crazy antics? Like, what is he doing? This is not the Giant way. So, uh, you know, it took, it took me some time to kind of fit in a little bit, but it was fun. Well, um, you're, you know, I'm a little nervous. This is my first podcast, and you're a savvy podcaster. You have a regular podcast with some real characters, to say the least. <laughs> what are you good at it? Are you, are you natural? Are you just yourself? Do you have to study? What do you give me some advice? I'm just a young kid, you know, in town trying to eat a little gumbo and impress people. And I think no, I'm yeah, failing. Yeah, I, saw, I saw, I saw, I, I've seen your work. I, I love, you know, so please, I don't want to hear that. No, I, you're going to do fine because people want, they want you that we need more um, podcasters like you and I, that's going to go out there and just keep it real. Anybody can go out there and talk X's and O's. Oh, third down and short. Here's the percentages. Nobody want to hear that. They want to see this interaction. They want to see who you bring on your show and you getting us out of our comfort zone, talking about, you know, soup and talking about different things and seeing where that takes us. Yeah, we can talk football, but people want that locker room talk. So I think, I think um, what makes our podcast great and what's going to make your, your show amazing is, is just real, authentic conversations and locker room talk. And this is what it is, because these are the type of conversations that we have in the locker room. And what about the vest? Do you think that's a little aggressive? you think it's a little too private school? Yeah, you're, 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 you're on par for the Giants. You're definitely not a Jet guy. You're definitely not a Jet guy. You're, 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 you, you, you definitely ask for a trade on trade night, like on, on draft night. Like that's, that's what that is. You knew exactly what you wanted to accomplish, and that's where you're at. You, you, you fit right in with that. Now, Brandon, I want to talk about your, your childhood. You were around some, some heavy stuff. How did that shape you later in life? Yeah, uh, great question. Well documented, man. I came from, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And in my county, in my little town, East Liberty, Larmer Avenue, it's the poorest county in all of Pennsylvania. So, you know, we, I wouldn't, we didn't have like a poverty type mentality. For us, it was all we knew. It was great. But we grew up, you know, in a very volatile environment. So I tell people this all the time. You become a product of your environment. And those type of environments is not about thriving. I mean, it's not about striving and, th and, and thriving. It's about surviving. That's what it's about, right? So we don't necessarily have all the coping skills and all of the tools we need to be able to do life with people because it's all about survive, survive, survive. Don't step on my territory. So as you get older, you, you begin to be more protected. So for me, I come from a, a very volatile environment and, and I had to learn how to trust people. I had to learn how to be a good teammate. I had to learn how to have that switch when you walk onto the field, you can turn it on and you can be that dog. You can be that beast wide receiver. But when you step off the field, you got to understand that that's not who you are. So for me, football was my identity. Football was everything. That's all I knew. So in a locker room, on the field, it didn't matter if it was a teammate. It didn't matter if it was the opposing team. It was don't take food off of my, don't take my soup off my plate, off my table, right? That's what it was. And, and so, the, so the first four years of my career, Coop, was a living hell, man. You know, I found myself at McLean Hospital in, a, in an outpatient program for three months, diagnosed with mental, uh, 
with borderline personality disorder, where I had to learn these skills and tools that may come uh, uh, easy for you. You know, stress. You know, we're all in high pressure situations, whether you're a parent, whether you're in, in corporate America, you're a professional athlete. Like we're all dealing with things, you know, just in different spaces. So I had to learn how to cope and, and, and deal with those things. So 2011, the year of the lockout, I was that's where I was in Waltham, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. And literally every day, you know, dialectical behavior therapy, self-assessment. Um, and, and it was very, it was a phenomenal experience. It changed my life and, and, and so far has helped uh, so many other people. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today and get more with every wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. You've been a huge mental health advocate and it's changed your life. It's changed your career. It's changed the trajectory of where you were and where you're going. Were there times when you were younger dealing with it that you thought, I mean, I don't know if you can even do a little self-analysis when you're younger going, you know, I'm struggling with things, but don't even know how to get yeah. better or how to comprehend it. And, and thinking back, if you had been diagnosed earlier, would you think you would have dodged a lot of, you know, landmines coming your way? Yeah. So, no, great. Like, no, that's part of the process, right? So when I was at McLean Hospital, it's, you know, you spend a lot of your time thinking about, you know, why do I think the way I think? Why do I do these things? So you start peeling back those layers. So in retrospect, then I couldn't understand it because of exactly what I said. You come from an environment where everybody communicates the same way. So what you saw from me, my first in Denver, my first couple years in the league was which is nothing different that you would see going into my my neighborhood in Pittsburgh, going down Norman Avenue, going to a little league game. That's what you saw. So I was a product of my environment. So for me, when I was younger, there was nothing felt awkward because that was the environment I was in. As I got older and I start, you know, having these, you know, these clashes with teammates and clashes off the field, it was, well, why is this a problem, right? And I had to look myself in the mirror and I had to ask myself those questions and I had to go to McLean Hospital and that's when you're like, oh, that's not okay. You know, now obviously you know right from wrong, the, the, you know, the simplest forms of right from wrong, but there's some deep rooted things there that, you know, I had to work on and, and and so, like, yes, if, if, if I was able to have somebody intervene early and, and if I was able to, you know, work on prevention, of course, I would have been in a different position. But, you know, mental health 25, 30, 35 years ago was, 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 was stigmatized like, like the cancer community, right? It's still highly stigmatized. So people didn't want to talk about it. Talk about it. People didn't want to deal with it. So I think now, you know, myself and Kevin Love and, you know, uh, Rosen, there's so many professional athletes pushing this thing forward. And there's so many doctors and clinicians been working this space for a long time to really help out people suffering in silence. Is it a battle every day for you or is it, it was, getting better every day? It was, it was some more. So like I changed the conversation 
And even here, we're at House of Athlete. This is where we're shooting still. And, and for me, it's about mental fitness and that mental health, right? It's what do I need to do to optimize my health, optimize my performance? Because the reality is there's over 320 million Americans. Over 100 million Americans personally suffer from it. So this is a common thing, right? So how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with depression or about of, de of depression, right? How do you have these conversations? So borderline personality disorder is one of those things where you go through this, this group therapy, you go through this whole program, and if you have the skills, if you pick up the skills and tools, you'll be okay. But then you need to quickly shift to, all right, how do I stay in this space? So every day, man, like I'm, I'm, I'm actively training myself, my mind, and, and, and I'm embracing meditation. I'm embracing talk therapy because it's, it should be a part of our, eight, our everyday lives because 80% of sport and 80% of life is mental. So why aren't we more intentional there? That's amazing. I want to go back, Brandon, even before you got to college and high school, you were obviously a great athlete, a physical beast, if you will. I'm sure you were a lot skinnier and uh, gangly at the time, but were you a big recruit? Were there colleges begging for your services in multiple sports? Bro, did you finish your whole suit before no, we go? But I, you've been doing all the talking. I've just been listening. So I, I do eat a lot quick. I'll talk for you. Mean, you mean uh, oh talking goodness. about abs? What are you so, talking about? So, 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 no, I wasn't a big recruit. I was a guy. Um, I was an athlete. And, um, yeah, you know, people didn't know where to place me. You know, I played quarterback. I played safety corner. I played DN if we played against an option team. I played wide receiver my junior year. So I was all over. I kicked the ball off or turned the you know, I was a returner, did everything. Um, so when it came down to it, there was the, – the biggest school was Florida. Coach Spurrier was on his way out. Like, Coach Spurrier just took the job to Washington. Um, he was recruiting me. They loved me. At, at, you know, they put me on the board as an athlete. Coach Double D Dixon, uh, he was um, – he had me on the board for a wide receiver. He wanted me in his room. Coach Zook then comes in, and he wanted me to go to safety. And my dream, I, you know, I, you can say I grew up, I left Pittsburgh and then I went to Orlando. So Orlando's like home for me. Uh, so I grew up being a Gator fan as well. So this was my dream school. I go on my visit. They haven't offered me yet. And um, I'm sitting there that Sunday. You know, you go, you go, you show up Friday, you hang out with the guys, do your little thing, Saturday, same thing. And then Sunday you meet with the coach. That's like your exit interview and, and meeting. And I'm sitting there, it's my father and I. And then there's Coach Zook. And Coach Zook's like, hey, we, we, we really want you to play safety. And I'm like, hmm, well, Coach, like, I, 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 I believe I'm a receiver. Actually, I know I'm a receiver. He's like, yeah, but we want you to play safety. And I said, well, how about this, Coach? How about you just give me through camp to prove through, to you that I am a wide receiver? If I don't prove to you that I'm a receiver in four weeks, you can put me anywhere on the field. You can put me at linebacker. You can put me at the end. I don't care. Just give me four weeks. This is my dream. And Coach Zook looked at me. He thought about it. Looked to the side. He's like, do you want to be a Gator or not? And I'm like, Ooh, you so, so that's what he said. That's what he said, Coop. That's what he did. <laughs> so I looked at my dad, and then I looked at Coach, and I said, Coach, thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to go to UCF. Got in that car, called Coach Fountain. I said, Coach Fountain, do you still have that scholarship for me? And they took me. That's, I mean, I'm trying to think of anybody 
who's a you know a big recruit. If someone said, if if you had a, a center, a guy you wanted to play center, and he said, I really want to be a kicker, and you go, well, you're 295 pounds, you're going to be a center, and he goes, for four weeks, will you let me be a kicker? You, just to get him, you'd say. I wasn't a big recruit, though. I wasn't. You know, in no, Florida, I think I was like at the top 100 in Central Florida. I may have been 49 in Central Florida. I was just an athlete. I was a big dude. I ball. I made plays. I got to Florida late, my junior, senior year. So there wasn't a lot of schools recruiting me. I recruited Florida. I went to their camps, right? So I was there in their program saying, you know, so my junior, my, my freshman, sophomore year, I was MVP at the camps because I knew that was my goal. Like, I knew I wanted Florida. It, there was no Georgias. There was no uh, VTechs. There was no LSUs. There wasn't any Ole Miss. There wasn't any Tennessees. There wasn't, you know, so – you know, that, that's why he felt like he had that power and that leverage because it's like, do you, that's why he asked, do you want to be a Gator or not? Like, this, it's a big deal to be here. Well, it didn't last long for Zook anyway, so you might have made the right choice. At the end of the day. <laughs> right. Then, Where is he now? Yeah, like I'm not sure. He went, he went from there to Illinois. He was a, he yeah. was a hard-charging guy. He was a, you know, yeah. veins yeah. out of his neck kind of guy. Um. Okay, but then in college, you really you, you kind of grew up. You you got you went slowly, and and then your senior year, you have a big year, catch about seventy four balls. You know, caught eleven TDs. What are you thinking about the NFL? Are you thinking this is? I mean, was that a motivating factor for you to get better every year? And do you, did you think that you had a future in the NFL at that point? So you got to go back to whew, ninety. You got to go back to 1990. I was six years old. My first time playing organized ball. When I played ball my first year, I was the right guard. I think I wore 62. But I grew up in a neighborhood where we played, you know, free, free for all. And we played tackle football. We played touch. And I knew I had the skills to be a running back and be a skill guy. Football was my first love. So at six years old, Coop, I knew, like, that was my only goal. Okay. So, like, that's it. There was no plan B for me. It was football is, is, is why, why I am here. So everything I did after that was for the NFL. And, and it, it, when, it wasn't like when I was younger, it wasn't like, oh, that's, you know, I got to make it to the NFL and you understand, like, teams and business, none of that. It was like, well, I'm watching, you know, Bobby Brister and Barry Foster for the Pittsburgh Steelers and, you know, I'm watching these guys and, I'm, and Jerome Bettis, I'm like, the that's where I want to be. So as you get older, everything, high school, college, I, I always said, like, I wanted to be the best me there, but I was prepping myself for the NFL. So what does that look like? Uh, as a receiver in college, you only have to have one foot down, right? You catch the ball to be in, complete pass, just get one foot in. Well, I never had that mindset. It was, I'm getting two feet in because I'm an NFL wide receiver. So I was always prepping for the NFL. So even in my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year, when things wasn't going my way, I just always, I just kept telling myself, you know, I was born a star. I was, I'm a dying star. I'm a be here. Like I actually got a tattooed on myself. Like my biceps right here. I got two stars here. Don't show up the biceps. It's already yeah. making me feel bad. But I, I say that because you know, those three years was tough, right? They were really tough for me because I'm a guy that, you know, I was a little league star, high school star, and then I, you know, get to college and it wasn't going my way. And I had to remind myself that, you know, no, I'm supposed to be here. And then my senior year, I had that breakthrough 
and uh, was able to go on to the NFL, get drafted in the fourth round. But even then, was still a struggle. When when Coach Shanahan called me, Denver, you know, 2006 drafted to the Denver Broncos, I get a call, you know, in the fourth round. Coach Shanahan called me and said, hey, we're going to take you with the 119th pick. He said, but be ready to play tight end when you get here. I said, all right. And I get there, and I'm doing one-on-ones against Chad, baby. And Champ's going to hear this, but I got to say it. I was eating his lunch. I was eating his soup. That's what I was doing. I took That's right. Soup from him. Eating Hall of Fame soup is what we do. Right. Over like here. I was doing something. It, it, you know, I, it wasn't like crazy, but I was catching the ball on Champ Bay. It was like a, a bang a, you know, a curl out here, there. Like I, I was, I was doing good against Champ. Champ Bailey went to Coach Shanahan, said that kid's a wide receiver, and they never put me to tight end. So my rookie year in camp, again, I extended this thing, this battle. I'm crushing him. I'm taking out Jerry Rice film. Jerry Rice is running the bang eight, so he's about to cut to the right. Jerry Rice gets into his, his uh, stem. He looks to the left. Boom, break it off, go right. So I'm doing all Jerry Rice stuff. They haven't even seen this stuff. So I'm crushing him. Elvis Doomerville comes to me, you know, during our break time. He's like, Brandon, Brandon, you got Champ Bailey in there studying film on you. I'm a rookie. Chad Bailey had to go watch one-on-ones to see what I was doing, right? <laughs> so, so he was quietly doing, like you said, Champ is a quiet guy. He's not going to say anything. You catch a ball on him, he's not going to say anything. But after those practices, man, you, yeah, Champ was in there studying film, Coop. Can you get Champ? Can he be a guest? Like, Champ, I want you to come do this show. Let's get Champ Bailey here because I want him to tell his version of this story as well. So, but does Champ, does Champ like soup? I mean, it's really the most important thing. Does Champ like soup? Yeah, Champ likes soup. I think that's all he eats is soup. <laughs> like Champ is like he yeah, Champ doesn't stretch. He doesn't work out. He just eats soup and just and just pedal, backpedal. That's all. Ah, we can get along pretty well then, I think. Who was the hardest DB you ever went up against? Darrell Reeves. Darrell Reeves was the best receiver. The hardest and toughest matchup. Man, somebody who made me grow up was Al Harris, cornerback for the Green Bay Packers. That was right. a man. Right. So that was the first time where I realized, like, oh, you got to beat man to man to be a top dog in the NFL. Like he was just like choking me out of the line of scrimmage. It was embarrassing. So Jay Cutler used to say to me, like, anytime I would kind of get out of line and practice, like, don't make me go get out. Don't make me go get out. But as far as like the best corner, Darrell Rivas, hands yeah. down, not even close. I mean, in his prime, if he lasted a little longer, if he stayed, if he was able to work his prime just a little longer, I thought he would be able to go down as the best um, corner ever. And the reason why I say that, because if you look up his stats during that run, it didn't matter if it was me, Randy Moss, Arnie Johnson, Ocho Cinco, Terrell Owens, uh, Steve Smith, you go on and on. It was four catches, 40 yards, five catches, 60 yards. Nobody went over 100 yards for like this, you know, this little run that he had. I mean, he was just pure lockdown, uh, just a, a a super technician. And is that the difference, being a technician? Because you got – obviously, corners are just superior athletes to the human race. I mean, they just – they're faster, they're more flexible, they run, they're nasty. But the, when you throw the technique on top of being that gifted is when you get a real elite. Yeah, well, you know, you know what we like to say. Yeah, they are freak athletes. But they are the guys that couldn't cut it at the wide receiver position, right? Come on, let's face it. Right, they just couldn't catch the ball. <laughs> like who? I mean, before I today, Patrick Peterson doesn't like to hear that right now. I'm sure he's but, but going. Even Pat P. Go back to college. Pat P. was like a phenomenal, like 
athlete on the offensive side. He played quarterback, played wide receiver, played running back. Yeah. Right? Like nowadays, it's, nowadays it's cool to play the corner. But back then, nobody grew up saying, I want to play corner because we weren't throwing the ball. Who, who grew up back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s? Oh, I want to play corner. So, so yes, nowadays, uh, I think that what separates the good from the great is the guys who have that football IQ. They understand it. They get it. And it's really about technique. Darrell Revis wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the biggest guy. Um, Richard Sherman is he was not he's definitely not the biggest guy and definitely not the fastest guy but why were they a why are they why were why was Revis and still Sherman still able to perform at a high level because of this right here 80 percent mental and, and the younger cornerbacks coming in need to understand that that that's where you spend your time Brent I remember a game you played the Colts were rocking and rolling I think they were even undefeated you came in one afternoon and caught I mean it was like Everybody in the stands knew they were throwing to you. The Colts knew they were throwing to you. You were going, they're throwing to me, and you still caught 20-plus balls that day. I had never seen anybody just absolutely dominate an offensive unit and just, I mean, as an offensive player, just dominate in a game like that. Do you remember that? you remember that well? Yeah, and we still lost to your brother. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only reason I brought it up. (laughs) No, it's like unbelievable. Like, yeah, there's so many ways we can go about this, but – no, I, I remember it well, obviously. It was probably the greatest game that I ever played, and I actually spoke that into existence. So I went to um, Michael Smith. He was reporting um, for ESPN at the time, and pregame, I had my headphones on, and I ran up to him, and I said, hey, so I want you to note this. This is going to be the greatest game I've ever played. I just had, like, this mindset and just, like, this crescendo throughout the week where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm channeling my inter Jay-Z because Jay-Z at the time was just elevating, like evolving and from this rapper to this, this mogul and this, this like businessman. And the way he did, the way he did things was effortlessly, like effortless. And so I was like, you know what? That's what I want to be on the football field. So you'll see me out there and I'm catching these balls and I'm just getting up, flipping the ball back to the ref because I was in the zones about well, next play. Next play mentality. I don't care about what's going on. I'm just locked into this moment, and this is what I'm supposed to do. So anyways, I think it's what, the fourth quarter, uh, Kenny McKinley at the time, he was one of our younger receivers. He wasn't dressed out, but I'm sitting down, I'm locked in, and he sits next to me, and he's just, like, looking at me in a weird way, and I'm like, Coop, I'm sorry, but on game day, I turn into – I morph into somebody else. Like, so it's kind really? of hard to work with me on game day. I just morphed into something different, especially when I was young. So Kenny McKinley's looking at me, and, and he's just – sitting there for like a minute. And I'm like, what, what, why are you staring at me? What What's the problem? He said, he said, bro, you're a catch or two away from breaking a record. I said, what? I said, why, why did you already tell me this? I didn't like, you gotta tell me these things. He's like, man, this is crazy. I said, how many catches do I have? And I don't know, he had 19 or 20 at the time. So I say all that because I was so locked into just, you know, in that zone, we talk about athletes being in that zone. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, I was just doing my job. And, and so, like, at the end, I ended up going, you know, to uh, Coach Josh McDaniels at the time, and we had Kyle Orton. I'm like, are, you, are we good? Are we going to get this record or not? Like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, we know, we know, we got you, we got you. So it came down to the very last play. Okay, so we're in a two-minute drive, still trying to come back and beat your brother, but I'm also trying to, you know, get this record. And so uh, – 
the, the third down in a two-minute drill, um, they, they, they try to throw me a bubble, okay? They throw me this bubble. Cal Orton literally just got so nervous and threw it into the dirt. Like, Coop is really, like, just throwing it, like, two yards. Just go like that. Like, it's like a handoff. He threw it in the dirt. I'm like, Cal, what are you doing? Oh, my goodness. So fast forward to fourth down. I get in a huddle. I said, Kyle, I don't, I don't care what the play is. And don't worry about where I line up. Just keep your eyes on me. I'm going to get open. So I get in there. I'm supposed to run like a corner route or something. And I just had this dude on me. I just threw him out the way, just posted up, caught the ball. And then I ended up running. I was like, oh, we still got to try to, you know, win a game. And I pitched it back to uh, Chris Cooper, our guard at the time, to try to pick up the first down. And that's how I got the record. Came down to the very last play. So, Chef Nancy delivered the gumbo on a scale of 1 to 1,000. How'd Ooh. she do today delivering that seafood gumbo? Ooh, I got to go with 10,000. Chef Nancy, she's been rocking with us for years since I've been playing with the Giants and the Jets. So, I got to give her 10,000. She's awesome at what she does, Cool. We'll, send you, we'll, send, you, we'll send you a bowl. Oh, send it FedEx. I want it hot. Well, you certainly made the right decision in the key moment when you were asked to join Soup with Coop and be the first ever guest. So I am grateful. I appreciate it. And you are a true gentleman, my friend. I look awesome. forward to hanging out soon. Awesome. Thank you.